0: podcast is part of the batman universe podcast network hosted by the here we love talking about everything batman Thebatmanuniverse.net has news original content and reviews about batman comics movies tv shows video games and more check out the and join our discord server to start chatting with fellow fans we can't wait to talk to you guys also, visit our Patreon page and join our other awesome supporters. But enough of this nonsense. On with the show.
1: Hey, Bat fans! Welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, Episode 251. I'm your host, Scott, and joining me our co-hosts BJ and Otto. Today we're devoting a whole episode to Batman Year One, the book, the animated feature film, and references in other in other Bat films. Why? Because DC currently has a three-issue arc on the pages of Batman called Joker Year One. We won't spoil that storyline or discuss it here. You can always listen to our comic podcast for that, the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. It's our sister podcast, or we're the sister podcast. Either way, we play well with each other and we focus on different areas of Batman related media. Um, or if you're curious, you can also read our reviews of Joker Year One Year One, which are all on the BatmanUniverse.net. You know, but because this is a hot topic right now, this type of storyline, you know, there's no perfect time to revisit this seminal classic. And I'm glad to have BJ and Otto with me as we dive right in. So no icebreaker, this is this episode just because we kind of have a lot of ground to cover when i started mining this so before we start talking about this some quick fast facts on this so batman year one is a four issue art printed in 1987 in the pages of um, batman issues 404 through 407 written by frank miller art by david Musicali. i probably butchered that name apologies if i did um, it's often considered the best Batman story ever made. There actually are a couple people on our staff too at TVU who would agree with that consensus that I know of right off the bat, you know, released the following year after the Dark Knight Return. So it kind of plays off of that and that tone and the mood Frank Miller created in the previous major Batman story he made, you know, with the release of Joker year one, which I mentioned earlier, there are currently 23 year one storylines. Some which are considered canon and some that aren't, you know, and that includes Gotham city year one, which came out last year and the success of Batman year one also led to year two and year three storylines, which I can't say I've read year three, but I do like year two. And there's some things that come out of it that we mentioned in a previous episode, our mask of the phantasm episode, because there was a major character that was readapted for that film from Batman year two. But anyways, back to Batman Year One. So to start us off, uh, BJ and I, where does this fall on your ranking?
2: All right, so I'm going to come out a little bit hot, but I'm not the, I recognize its importance, Batman Year One's importance as a storyline, but it's not high, very high on my rankings. So I'm coming out a little, I don't know if that's a hot take, but just not like i i understand like i said i understand its importance i know why it's there it's my favorite like batman origin story but it's just not one i revisit a lot
0: so we're i think we're starting off uh with the spicy takes because i'm gonna agree with that um and i'm gonna disagree with some of the people on our server who like i know who they are too um but i think just like bj said i I really understand why this is considered a classic, and I agree. I consider it a classic myself. Um, I do think it is one of those "quote unquote" definitive origin stories. However, the quality of the actual book itself is not one that I would place in my like you know top five or anything like that. I, I think I, I I read it again uh, just before this podcast, but um, I also reviewed the rating that I had given it the the very first time I read I read it. And it was a four out of five, which is pretty good. But it's not like, you know, a 4.5 or a five that would put it like, you know, in my top five or top 10. So yeah, I'm definitely with BJ on that.
1: That's interesting. All right. We actually might have a, a less uh, contentious episode that I was wondering, because uh, I am a serial Goodreads logger. So I also reread this book within the past week. And I gave it a four out of five again after my initial score of four out of five. You know, people can go check my Goodreads and it's there. And I'm kind of in agreement with you guys. Like I, you know, we'll get into the details in a second. I don't want to explain my opinion on it, but I I sit on the fence of this one. I like it. I respect it. But it's never my go-to. You know, I probably haven't read this since the first time I read it years ago. So it was kind of interesting to go back with that fresh take and relearn some of the little like motifs and things that I forgot about when I think about what the story actually is, you know, what my memory remembers the plot being. So, with that said, what are some elements you like about Batman Year One?
2: I would probably say the like just the overall grittiness of the story. It's very very down to earth. Like there's no like fantastical elements unless yeah, there's really not any fantastical elements. I think it showed kind of very much restraint that there were no other than Catwoman. There were no other costumed villains. Like there was no we didn't get a Joker reference till the very very end. And nowadays like if you compare it to zero year uh the scott snyder story like that had all the the fantastical elements that had the red hood gang that had the riddler that had every like dr death right if i'm remembering uh correctly but year one it was as down to earth and gritty as you can possibly get so i like i appreciate that element of it
0: yeah i think the less we say about zero year the better but um i i think I, I, I agree I appreciate the the gritty, the grittiness of it and I I think um you can kind of see like when you read it why it's been so influential to live-action filmmakers um and I also think one thing that I really really like about it is uh the mood and I think I've mentioned this before that the character works best as a noir crime fighting detective not so much, Leaning into the sci fi elements of it, that some of the more modern stories tend to do. Uh, and I think this really embraces the street level roots and the detective aspect of the character, uh, which I think is the most important thing.
1: Yeah, I would agree with both of that. And like the thing I think that kept popping in my head as I was rereading it, you know, I really focused on the art and that I loved the art and the whole style and feel the grittiness and noirish elements. It reminded me a lot. It felt like I was watching or reading in a way a batman infused novelization of like taxi driver or something just that mood with like the colors and everything and it feels like it's very rainy and dour and like that's just kind of the vibe i was feeling with so i really enjoyed that element of it you know and like and and like i like i, I like the way it expands upon you know bruce wayne's you know, first year as Batman and like brings that into focus while still respecting the original origin. Like there's a couple panels in there that, you know, are recreations of panels that were in the first origin told, you know, for Bruce Wayne becoming Batman, you know, so there's, I I liked that seeing those those appear there, just that little motif that celebrates and then kind of does its own very 80s, modern frank miller-esque spin on it but what are some things you didn't like about it
2: uh let's see um it does kind of meander a little bit like maybe in the middle like there's not much action to it there's only probably two big kind of set pieces if you want to call them like the the fight that he has with the cops um and then at the end when he's not even in he's not even dressed as batman he's just wearing the motorcycle helmet or or and or and gordon's chasing after his, finding his kid and stuff so yeah i would say it's kind of not it just it like meanders is the, the word i would use
0: yeah i think it doesn't feel like a complete story to me like it it, it kind of ends really really abruptly um and it it's it does it does its job in terms of Introducing the character, like, okay, this is the first time he appears as Batman. Um, but then it doesn't really do much else. Um, and so that's, I think, something that I would say I dislike. The other thing that I would also mention, and this might be controversial because I'm kind of 50-50 on it, is the art in the book. There are some panels that are outstanding. And then there are others that are not really so well done, in my opinion. And so that would be something that I would say I kind of am on the fence about.
1: Hmm, interesting. Do you have any like particular panels that come to mind?
0: So the, the ones, the ones that I like, obviously, you know, the scene where he comes in to the dinner and interrupts them during the dinner. I think that one's absolutely fantastic um the scene in the study really focuses in on the eyes but there's some especially in the like the action sequences i'm not sure that's Mazzucchelli's forte in terms of drawing those and and sort of storyboarding how that happens um and then but the thing is too like there are some panels where even in action sequences where he does well so <laughs> it just it just feels a bit uneven to me
2: i, can I wonder if could... oh, oh go ahead dj sorry well, because I know this is one of those stories that like always gets reprinted and I feel like the art's like always updated and re-inked and I wonder if maybe like depending on like your copy, like it might look differently or better. Like, do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I, I think I do have a, a more modern reprinting because in the back of the in the back of the collection that I have, there are pages that um are like samples I think from the original printing and the, the coloring does look different. So I yeah. wonder if that might have anything to do with it, but in the copy I have, um, it, it does look a bit uneven.
1: It's an interesting point though, because I wish I actually looked at the uh, print date for the volume I was reading, but the copy I have is at least 20 years old. I want to say it still has the DC bullet shield logo on it. So I know, you know, it's, it's pretty old now cause they've, That was like two logos ago, but yeah, that's interesting. But I do think I kind of hear what you're saying with some of the action scenes because I do remember at least a few of them. They felt like, I don't know, uneven is a word I want to say. Not, not, not every action scene, which is, you know, it's kind of enjoying the moodiness. And then there was this brief action that felt just, yeah, out of place or, or just maybe uneven or maybe not kinetic is the word. I'm really thinking of where there wasn't that flow there that like really draw me in and pull it but i'm not there's nothing that overtly stood out to me that i necessarily had an adverse reaction to though which is probably very very minor nitpicky things for me at that point
0: yeah i mean i'd agree with that i wouldn't i wouldn't say the art is bad or anything i think it's just there are i think it's because in in some pages on in in some panels the standard is at a certain level i'm expecting that in all the pages and maybe that's a bit unrealistic so i think it's just it's failing at its own standards sometimes and then there's there's little things too that i mean this is not really about art but so he, at the end of the book he gets shot right and then instead <laughs> he takes off after a, a truck and a car on a bicycle
1: yeah i thought that was funny actually in my head when he hopped on that bicycle i thought of like the Pee Wee's big adventure music or something like with the bike chase at the end because it was kind of it was kind of silly But I also feel like that's kind of like Frank Millerisms, right there, as I like to call them. And that's something I put on here because it is an element I dislike is that I like a lot of Frank Miller's works. And I think he's a good writer. He's art, you know, depends on which book it is. It could be terrible and it could be pretty good. But um, he has weird just views and things he likes to put in there. You know, one, we'll talk about one of the major characters later, but I did want to point out Sarah Essen because the way he describes her, or he has Gordon describe her, is that she's a woman who knows how to wear heels still. And there's like this whole thing about like how that's not common anymore, and like he really. Oh no, that's it. that's
0: that's Batman, right? Like oh, you know, when Gordon sets a trap for him. Oh man. yeah, kind okay, of. Yeah.
1: But then, like at the same token, you know, later on, it's it's also noted that she's like too masculine for other careers and that's why she's a cop. And so it was this weird like push pull. And it's something I've noticed where like maybe Frank Miller doesn't express it that explicitly in a lot of his works, but it's just like a thing that like pops up in like other works like Sin City there, and you know, it's just interesting.
0: There's a very long conversation to be had on Frank Miller writing female characters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, speaking of Sarah Essen. You know, I've seen that a lot of people, and actually in our Discord too, with certain uh, members of the staff, you know, Jim Gordon's cheating is sometimes considered a point of contention. You know, but I would ask you guys if you guys think it's serves a narrative purpose here.
2: I guess to show that he's flawed. I know this is kind of like like a Millerism, like having the hero be flawed. It is. I don't know what purpose it serves just to show that Gordon's not that perfect cop and he's maybe just as corrupt as, you know, the, the rest of the GCPD, which shows how this book's kind of all about how corrupt they are with Flass and everybody and commissioner Loeb. So while he's always trying to be the perfect cop, but he's a good cop, but like not a good man almost.
0: So I think this is connected to, The archetype of the hero, and this also connected to why I think DC or Warner Brothers have failed to make a good Superman movie for so long, is because for some reason now there seems to be some sort of hesitancy about doing a character that is purely heroic. And I understand that you don't want to write every character that way because that can get boring very quickly, and it's also not realistic because not every person. Is purely heroic and if everyone was then it would cease to be special um and so from that standpoint i feel like that element for gordon in this story was included just to sort of shy away from the purely heroic character and i think as bj said that is a millerism he does shy away from pure heroic characters what i will say is that I don't. Th- I will say that it is used well in this story because, a, it's not, it's not meant to be something that's good. Like it's clearly portrayed as something that's negative. It's is clearly portrayed as a flaw. It's not promoting that kind of thing and saying, "Hey, that's great. You can go do that." Um, so it is. It is a character flaw. But then the other thing too, the second part of that is that it shows how someone can rectify that flaw, which is what he does throughout the story. And I think that's also compelling is that, and that's also another form of heroism is kind of owning up, taking accountability for mistakes, owning up to it and seeking a path to rectify it, which is what he does. And I think there, for people who are in similar situations, they might be able to see that and be like, well, this is something that I can do or that's something that they can connect to, which I think is also important because as I said, like if every character is purely heroic, then that would be very boring, and it would also be unrealistic.
1: I think that was very well said, and and it's it's I feel similarly in that, you know, considering the subject matter, they could have gone, they should, have, they could have been way more graphic about it or overt. But I feel like there was a lot of restraint in that subplot, you know, especially when compares to a lot of Frank Miller's other works, like and, and there was that tenderness there not to like totally damage Gordon's character and so you know it is this mark but uh, it, it does bring in the adult conversation you know kind of like you're talking about of being able to address it and you know rectify it and deal with it and and do the right thing you know after that act of betrayal and so it's something I actually appreciated and it's interesting because i feel like it only really lives in this book. You know, it's not something that ever comes up again outside of this. And this obviously this was published after The Killing Joke. You know, in Grant Wells an origin story and takes place before that. You know, most stories that deal with any sort of um moral, you know, shadows or walking a line with Gordon usually fall into the camp of well the Killing Joke happened. So you know, he's going back and forth on whether he thinks the Joker should die or wants to kill the Joker. I was actually reading an animal from 1992 last night that dealt with this again. And obviously we saw it in in a recent Joker uh, maxi series from James Tynan not too long ago, but it just feels like, you know, it's a, it's a different thing that can mar Gordon, but also allow that room for, you know, maybe a a more developed or nuanced character. And the restraint is appreciated. And and I, I have, I like that, you know, it allows us to still like, like, and root for Gordon, you know, obviously if it was done differently, we probably would have like despised or loathed him in a way.
0: And I think also that restraint that you mentioned is key in terms of how it's portrayed, because I think if someone was to do that type of storyline today in like 2024, it would be played for graphic shock value. Um, I mean, maybe not hundred percent of the time, but there's a good chance that it would be. Um, and that would not be showing restraint. And then I think that would just make it more controversial and feel more like a character assassination. I, th- I don't think the way that they did it here is in any way a type of character assassination of Gordon.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I would agree with that. So the other character I wanted to talk about, <laughs> and it is a, is a point of the story I don't like, and I, I kind of wanted to hear your thoughts first, but Catwoman. Is she a character
2: in here or a non-character? Oh boy, that's like a to be or not to be type of question there um <laughs> I guess she's a cat I maybe when once she puts on that uh the catwoman costume she's a character, but uh, all I could think about uh, going over this was um the first time Batman, uh, Bruce and Selena meet is uh tom king's run where we met it was the street it was the boat it was the street it was the boat that's all i could think of uh first when i'm rereading this and watching the movie again but yeah i guess that's speaking of backstories that they really dc has shied away from uh catwoman's uh career before she put on uh before she became catwoman they've kind of gone away from that although they do bring it back a little bit in um the batman but yeah, they'll never mention, I feel like they'll never mention her past career as uh, in any comics.
0: I think the answer to this question is actually connected to a question you asked before. Um, and it's this story meanders, is what BJ said. And this is part of that meandering is that Catwoman doesn't need to be in this story. She's included, um, I guess, like what I, my perception of it is that she's included to sort of show the, quote unquote on the street perspective like what's happening how gotham appears to be for people in a certain neighborhood from a certain socioeconomic bracket that's the perspective that we're supposed to be getting with with, with her and it's supposed to be a counter i think to batman's rich perspective rich or privileged or the rich and privileged elites that you see in that dinner scene at, in gotham um I'm not sure it needs to be in there. Um, I I don't see much value in it, in in the story. I think it's part of the reason the story meanders. Um, I think Miller just included it because, as you mentioned, this is coming right after Dark Knight Returns, and there was um, a brief Catwoman scene in there, in which he also doesn't know what to do with her in that book, too, because she just kind of comes into the story just to be victimized, and then, you know, we never really hear from her again. Uh, except at the funeral later on. So, yeah, I just, I didn't think she needed to be in here.
1: She goes back to the same career in the Darknet Returns that she started in year one.
0: (laughs) In management now, though. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's just something I I was thinking about because, you know, it's interesting because I remember her in it. But, you know, when I thought of like, well, what's the plot of this? I just remember her just being in the book, but not really being much a part of the plot. And that seems to be, you know, that's my reading again, is that she's here. And I feel like, you know, there are allusions to like, you know, Batman and Catwoman having like some kind of future together. There's scenes with like cats around Batman and Bruce, you know, Wayne, they like pop up in there. And it's, I saw that as like, oh, foreshadowing, you know, this is eventually they're going to have this connection this push-pull you know but that's kind of all i got out of it which is you know she's there they have this you know they have this because you're a batman fan and here's their origin story you know in a way
0: yeah and just quickly i mean we're going to talk about the the animated adaptation later but just one brief mention that i thought was really funny is you know that scene where she's sleeping and then holly is looking out the window and, you know, she wakes up and it's like five in the morning. She's like, what's going on? There are bombs literally being dropped out her window. She doesn't wake up because of that. But then she wakes up because of the cats. I just thought that was hilarious.
1: So speaking of the animated film, we can move on to that. Because I actually forgot that this came out. <laughs> I did watch it again. You know, It was an animated adaption in 2011. Ben McKenzie played Batman, and he would famously go on to play Jim Gordon in the Gotham TV show. Brian Cranston played Jim Gordon. Eliza Dushku played Selena Kyle. Those, I mean, there's obviously other cast members, but those are your three core. Um, but on this topic, you know, I kind of want to have an open floor. You know, what your thoughts are on it. Do you think it's a faithful adaptation?
2: I would definitely say it's faithful, because it's basically like a shot for shot remake of the story. And I think that's why I really don't like it. Uh, Just if we're going to, I'm sure we're going to go there, but just kind of, it's too much of a shot for shot remake where there is no, they don't take advantage of, uh, they don't add their own little flavor or add anything to like the fight scenes or anything. It's just... What you see on the page is what you see on the screen. And I think that's why it's kind of
0: forgettable. Yeah, I have the same take. I think it is quite literal. Like I had my book uh, and I re- I finished reading it right before I watched it. And I watched it right before we got on. And I uh, had my book open and I'm going through. And it's, as BJ said, literally shot for shot. I would say 98, 99% of what's in the book is in the adaptation there's some minor differences like that funny bicycle scene i mentioned earlier instead of a bicycle he's running on rooftops doing some parkour to catch up so there's just little tweaks like that um that i think they've made because some parts of it also haven't aged as well and so they've they've made changes in in that way uh but it's literally like a shot for shot remake of the book and it was interesting too is like i think while there are many people who would find that kind of, you know, boring, and I kind of agree with, with BJ on that, like, I, I need to see a little bit more. Um, there are some people and I there are some people on the server, especially that I know who would be like, this is perfect. We want a exact shot for shot remake. And that's all we want. So, I mean, it, I guess it just depends on who you are. Yeah,
1: it's a good way to put it. It has its audience, but I'm kind of in your guys' camp where I just, I watched it. I was bored. And I remember when I watched it the first time, I was excited because Ryan Cranston was voicing Jim Gordon. I'm like, oh, that'll be neat. And then I watched, and then, you know, I was equally bored. And it never left my DVD case till this past week. So, and we'll probably go back there and I'll forget
2: about it. They definitely learned, um, like, because the next year they had the Dark Knight Returns two part. And you can't really talk about year one without talking Dark Knight Returns. And like, well, a lot of Dark Knight Returns, the movies adapted faithfully from the story. They do add, they move little pieces around, but like the action, like the set pieces in Dark Knight Returns is so much grander in scale. Obviously, he fights Superman and the end, but they add so much more to that fight where it is a little more uh, memorable. Like when he fights the mutant leader, when he has the fight with the Joker in the tunnel of love, like they add, they add a lot to it, but it keeps him at the core of the story. And I, I don't know how about you guys, but I really like that two part of Dark Knight the Returns, the animated films. And I think that's why I, I wonder if they definitely learned like a lesson from year one when they did when they made that movie.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you as well. And I think the voice acting performances in that one were way better than the voice acting performances in this one. And it was weird because I, I know that sometimes for these adaptations, the voice actors, they record all their lines separately. But I feel like it was really noticeable in this where it it felt like at times they were not even interacting or talking to each other. And they were just these lines were just cut and copy and pasted into the into the into the adaptation. Whereas in um, Dark Knight Returns, it it felt like, you know, the characters were all in the same room recording at the same time. And that might not that might not have been the case, but I think that's a sign of a good voice acting performance is that they have you believe that.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. There was there was emotion in the Dark Knight Returns adaptation with a lot of the voice acting. In, and in this it's just it the does feel so like,
2: monotone. Yeah. So monotone.
1: It feels like you're getting like a foreign film that they dubbed over and like the people they just hired were like there for the day and like ah, I gotta bang these out, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so but I I think we're all in agreement on how we feel about it. You know, we can move on because the next part I find a little more exciting, and that's kind of the influences this story has had in other pieces of bad media. You know, I'll start with one movie and I can stop and you guys could put your thoughts on it. And, you know, I have a list of three movies here, but there obviously could be other ones that I'm not even thinking of. This was a quick list I put together, but um, Batman begins is like the most obvious one. I feel like there is a detective flask in the movie as he is in the book, very different interpretations of this character and look and, you know, background you know, but both Detective Flasses are crooked cops and they have a connection to Falcone. You know, and they're also Gordon's partner. You know, Commissioner Loeb is also in the Dark Knight trilogy. And Batman Begins ends like year one, you know, with that reference to the Joker, you know, things to come. You know, and one thing I will add, you know, I mentioned that there were other year one stories made throughout the year or throughout the years and this particular movie sparked DC to release both Batman Rachel Ghoul year one and Batman Scarecrow year one, of which I don't really remember Rachel Ghoul too much, but I did overall enjoy the Scarecrow. It's not a must-read, but for what it was, I did enjoy it.
2: I would say the biggest um thing to that Batman Begins lifted from uh, year one was the scene where Batman calls the bats uh to to escape i that's uh one of the best parts of the of the book and the movie really and um i remember when i first because i saw begins before i read year one and when the flas in batman begins i thought it was um harvey bullock uh because he's kind of overweight kind of goofball and they're calling him flas and i was like that's not flash who like i don't know what a flas is but that's that's harvey bullock but then I get it. Then I read the story, and I was like, "All right, they kind of just took the name and took the likeness and combined them." But, but yeah,
0: yeah. There's there's a bunch of uh, you know, even the uh, the Dark Knight ends. It's kind of like year one, where like you know, in the Dark Knight, he saves Gordon's kid and kind of falls. That's how this this one, this one ends too. Like he's falling off a bridge to save Gordon's kid. So there's there's that as well. Um, the 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 shot of the diner uh just the panel of it i think it's it's supposed to look like a famous american painting uh i do not know which one it is but i've seen it before i know it by sight
1: night hawks i believe is the one you're talking of
0: i'll take your word for it scott because i have no idea which one it is if i see the picture i know it but i, I don't know the name or the artist but it's, it, that they used uh, a similar type of shot in, in the Batman as well, where, you know, Riddler was hiding out. Um, the, the When Batman in year one, when he goes out into the street for the first time, that costume is kind of similar to the drifter costume from the Batman as well. So uh, there's multiple live action films, and I would say all the best live action films have drawn from this story.
1: I think that's a really good point. You know, and yeah, to that end, the things you're mentioning, I didn't even have on my list. You know, the other things I did have were um, Dark Knight, you know, Harvey Dent takes credit for being Batman, which I saw as kind of a nod to them thinking Harvey Dent was Batman in year one. You know, and then obviously the Batman, you know, there is there is the, the Diner references. And I feel like kind of the theme of that movie, you know, does lift, you know, quite a bit from this. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I feel like, I kind of like these movies as better year one stories than Batman year one in the sense that, and I think the difference is, is they really kind of lean more into Gotham City and Batman's world, and that's why I prefer it. Whereas, like, we're talking about how we feel year one is a good story, but it feels incomplete. You know, these movies, they have some kind of grand escalation involving one or two of Batman's Rogue's Gallery at some point. You know, that really kind of makes it feel that more grand scale, you know, storytelling that incorporates this and builds on it, you know, and to um, the Batman's credit, you know, we've talked about this to death in a lot of our episodes when the movie came out, but like all those things have an impact on him as a character. He may has to make a change by the film's end, and it's something I really appreciate. And I will mention, to going with the Batman, um, another year one book came out of that one. So they followed the whole Batman Begins plot line where DC you know, was like, hey, you want to do another year one? And so Paul Dano, who played the Riddler, helped write a Riddler year one book, which isn't canon, but goes into the
2: backstory of the villain from the film. It's pretty so- awesome, too. I do. I do really like that story. Yeah, that's really good. I
1: I've, I really like it, and I kind of wish we can get Paul Dano on the podcast to talk about it.
2: <laughs> and the movie. Yeah, Twitter. Can we can we tag him on Twitter?
1: <laughs> um, but are there any other references we missed that you can think of?
2: Uh, in the Dark Knight, uh, in the daytime, he goes out on the motorcycle, like he does at the end of year one, with the helmet. Um. In Mask of the Phantasm, he fights the cops. Those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I think those are the. I think those are the only two other ones. All
1: you right, know, still pretty big list. So, kind of to recap, you know, the big question here is: Does Batman Year One fit in your reading essentials for Batman?
2: I would definitely say it is essential. Even though I not, uh, it's not one of my favorites. I want to put it in my personal top ten, but I would say it is essential. It's where everything started, basically.
0: I agree. Like, it's not again. It's not one of my favorites, but it is like if I if I'm creating a list of, you know, collected edition stories. And I'm presenting it to someone and saying, if you want to get into Batman or if you are in just getting into Batman and you want to kind of read some of the foundational or classic stories, this is going to be one of them. So, yes, I would say it is part of that list.
1: OK, and so to piggyback off of that, you know, if you're giving someone a list of reading essentials of Batman, is year one the first book you give them or is it do you tuck it in there? Cause I actually have strong feelings on that, but I want to hear your take on that first.
2: Give it to someone. Uh, to start. I think I, uh, a couple of years ago at work, someone asked me like, Oh, like I'm into Batman. Like what should I start reading? And I did say, I hadn't I had him read the long Halloween first. Cause I was like, here you go. You got Batman and you have the entire rogues gallery. And it's an awesome story. And I, let him off a of that one.
0: I didn't even start with your one. So uh, how I would approach it is I think, I think everyone's different. I don't think there's any single list or recommendation that works for everyone. And so if I'm trying to bring someone into the to fan base, or I'm trying to encourage someone to get into a new character, I would think about that person and the stories that they like and recommend something that's along those lines so for example if they're into more sci-fi futuristic tech stuff i might recommend like a really great batman beyond story as a way to kind of get them in and once they're in and once they have that interest and enjoyment in the character then i kind of would give them this and be like hey so this is kind of the one is considered a classic and this is where it's you know everything kind of started for the character And then, you know, then they'd have the interest in reading it, whether they're really into it or not. If it's someone who is very into, um, you know, gritty, noir detective style stories, then yeah, I would start them off with this one. Or this would be one of the ones that I start them off with.
1: You know, that's really an interesting thing to consider. And I think you're right in that. When I say that, I, I think lately I've been recommending Hush as a starting point because partially because I want to recommend Long Halloween, but that one I feel like is much better than Hush. Not to say Hush is bad, but I like it better, and I feel like Hush is one of those the mystery isn't that complicated or, like, hidden, and I feel like if you put that too far in the list, it might be disappointing, you know, to, like, read that later and read all these other great stories first, and then it kind of, it's like one of those, like, escalating expectations, but... You know, yeah, you're right, depending on what they're into or, you know, where they're coming from, you know, year one might make the sensible starting location.
0: And that's the nice thing about this character, too, is that Batman over the 80 years plus that he's been in print has proven to be very versatile. So at this point, there are stories for everyone that everyone can connect to and enjoy and so it just comes down to i think knowing the person that you're giving the recommendation to and then once again once they're once they're hooked once they're in then you can kind of give them okay these are the classics and then they might have you know the interest to go outside of the stories that they might only be interested in reading and try something new
2: it's funny too like i always see like those lists like oh like Best bat books for beginners, and usually one of the top ones, like Dark Knight Returns. I'm like, you can't lead off a of Dark Knight Returns. Like it's a little the end of his career, basically, and like why why start there? It's such that's so weird when I see those on lists.
0: It's also yeah, it's like, like horrible, but yeah, and it's also it's also like a a, a depressing moment for the character. I, I don't think that's like the best the best time to start them off with. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: kind of, it's kind of like introducing them to the Marvel universe and giving them Old Man Logan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <For> real. <laughs> um, But that said, I have the last two questions I have, and I'm going to combine them. I have them separate here, but you know, are there any Year One books that make your your essential readings list that you would recommend people like other Year One books? And the extra caveat to that. Is are there in year one stories that haven't been made that you'd like to see? Or are you tired of the concept and hope they stop after Joker year one?
2: So once to essential year one stories. I'm a big Robin Dick Grayson's my favorite character. So I would maybe say Robin year one. Um, but other than that, Back year one is great too. If you kind of, if you want to start there for essential readings like that. I don't know. I know Frank Miller wrote Superman Year One. I haven't read it, but I haven't heard good things. Can't really think of any other, uh, any other essential Year One stories.
0: I have not. Uh, I have not read the Robin or Back earlier One, and I intend to do so because that seems like a pretty glaring hole in my uh, reading resume. Um, I do think there's like. I, I guess like would the Batman Beyond movie be counted as Batman Beyond Year One? Like a it's not officially Year One, but it's kind of like an origin for him, I think. Um I think it would be good if the the main characters all had some sort of definitive year one story. Uh but at the same time, I feel like, you know, as you mentioned, Scott, with the sheer number of year one stories that have been published in the years since this book came out in like 1986. Um, I feel like they're all chasing that magic. They're all chasing the magic of Batman year one and none of them are quite hitting it. And I think it's partially because they're chasing the magic instead of just trying to do it.
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: 22. Cause uh, like John Burns, like man of steel came out around this time. And like, I would almost consider that like a Superman year one but it's not called year one, but that's like one of like the great like origin stories, I think for Superman, even though it's not considered a year one.
1: I think it's hard too, because I don't want to go too much into the Joker year one thing. You know, we also just had Gotham city year one and part of me feels like the year one label kind of gets slapped on things sometimes where maybe it doesn't belong, And that worries me, you know, and, and if now we're going to start taking like, cities or locations and just slapping year one on there you know maybe we should do a clock tower year one or something but um i don't know i like i think if it's done right i like the concept of it but i see it as a very specific thing where it's kind of a a celebration introductory read or should be for the character so like those like batgirl robin you know nightwing like you know i tend to enjoy those as like kind of the you know the, the quick rough history and kind of get into it and if that were how they continue all to be i wouldn't mind seeing more villain ones but maybe like i don't know maybe the expectations are they don't have to be this massive like city shattering plot maybe it could just be a really good like personal emotional story something closer to the lines of like a uh, scarecrow year one where you take a villain or something, and it's just more so about them and who they are. You know, I don't know. And I uh-huh. kind of like to see this as like a silly, maybe like do some that are a little goofier and less dour, where it's like I don't know, <laughs> Scarface year one or something, just something strange that maybe could go really go to bat for a small scale story that really just dives into that character in a in a fun kind of warm way.
0: I don't know. I feel I like I'm rambling at this point. No, no, no. I have I haven't read this series yet, but isn't that what One Bad Day was supposed to be?
2: Um, I think it was more like they're like they're almost killing joke type stories. Okay. Yeah,
1: I read them yeah. all, and they were just kind of random.
2: They were hit yes. a mess.
1: Yeah, some of them like really hit that vibe of trying to be the ultimate, you know, uh, like Clayface story or whatever. But, and then other ones kind of missed the market. They just felt like a adult rated regular old, you know, Batman adventure.
0: Yeah. I mean, th- I, th- I just think so many writers are are trying to just replicate it. Like they go in with the intention of trying to replicate this instead of just being like, Hey, I have this cool idea for a story and let's do it. And I think that's what you were referring to is that there are many books that get the year one label slapped onto it that don't really deserve it in, in that way. And Just another example, we brought up Zero Year earlier. That was literally a writer trying to replicate this with the same character. So, that's how desperate people are, I think, to chase that magic.
1: True. Now we need Batman minus one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: But, yeah, I think we kind of hit around the story as much as we could, as well as the related media. But, you know, I think we're and it's kind of interesting to see that we're all in agreement on how we feel about Batman year one. It's good, you know it's worth your time, but maybe you know not the best thing ever. And it's funny that it.
2: I think I think last time we were more pro- we were more positive about Batman or Robin than we were about Batman year one once one story is universally beloved and the other universally hated
0: Now we need to have we need to have like Ian or Theo on to uh give a counterpoint.
1: Well, Theo's probably listening to all this, and he's going to send us some notes. We like it. We don't love it. That's wrong with that. <laughs> with that said, visit us at TheBatmanUniverse.net for comic reviews, movie news, and more. Want to chat with us? You can hop on our Discord. A link will be below. You can also write to us at tbu at TheBatmanUniverse.net. And we will respond to your comments on air. If you like these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and share. For BJ, Otto, and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.